Section 10 of The Charwoman's Daughter by James Stevens. Chapters 19 and 20. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 19. The name of the woman from next door was Mrs. Cafferty. She was big and round, and when she walked, her dress whirled about her like a tempest. She seemed to be always turning around. When she was going straight forward in any direction, say, towards a press, she would turn aside midway so sharply that her clothing spun gustily in her wake. This probably came from having many children. A mother is continually driving in oblique directions from her household employments to rescue her children from a multitude of perils. An infant and a fireplace act upon each other like magnets. A small boy is always trying to eat a kettle or a piece of coal or the backbone of a herring. A little girl and a slop bucket are in immediate contact. The baby has a knife in its mouth. The twin is on the point of swallowing a marble or is trying to wash itself in the butter or the cat is about to take a nap on its face. Indeed, the woman who has six children never knows in what direction her next step must be, and the continual strain of preserving her progeny converts many a one into regular cyclones of eyes and arms and legs. It also induces in some a perpetual good-humored irritability, wherein one can slap and cuddle a child in the same instant, or shout threateningly or lovingly, call warningly or murmur encouragingly, in an astonishing sequence. The woman with six children must both physically and mentally travel at a tangent, and when a husband has been badgered or humored into the bargain, then the life of such a woman is more complex than is readily understood. When Mary came home, Mrs. Cafferty was sitting on her mother's bed. Two small children and a cat were also on the bed. Two slightly bigger children were under the bed, and two others were galloping furiously up and down the room. At one moment these latter twain were runaway horses, at another they were express trains. When they were horses, they snorted and neighed and kicked. When they were trains, they backed and shunted, blew whistles and blew off steam. The children under the bed were tigers in a jungle, and they made the noises proper to such beasts and such a place. They bit each other furiously and howled and growled, precisely as tigers do. The pair of infants on the bed were playing the game of bump. They would stand upright, then spring high into the air, and come crashing down on the bed, which then sprung them partly up again. Each time they jumped, they screamed loudly. Each time they fell, they roared delighted congratulations to each other. And when they fell together, they fought with strong good humor. Sometimes they fell on Mrs. Make-Believe. Always they bumped her. At the side of the bed, their mother sat telling with a gigantic voice a story wherein her husband's sister figured as the despicable person she was to the eye of discernment, and this story was punctuated and shot through and dislocated by objurations, threats, pleadings, admirations, alarms, and despairs addressed to the children separately and en masse by name, nickname, and hastily created epithet. Mary halted in amazement in the doorway. She could not grasp all the pandemonium at once, and while she stood, Mrs. Cafferty saw her. "'Come on in, honey,' said she. "'Your ma's as right as a trivet.' 
all she wanted was a bit of good company and some children to play with deed she continued children are the best medicine for a woman that i know of they don't give you time to be sick those creatures patrick john i'll give you a smack on the side of the head if you don't let your little sister alone and don't you nora be vexing him or you'll deserve all you get Run inside, Julia Elizabeth, cut a slice of bread for the twins, and put a bit of sugar on it, honey. Yes, Elena, you can have a slice for yourself, too, you poor child, you. Well, you deserve it. Mrs. Make-Believe was sitting up in the bed with two pillows propping up her back. One of her long, thin arms was stretched out to preserve the twins from being bruised against the wall in their play. Plainly, they had become great friends with her, for every now and then they swarmed over her, and a hugging match of extreme complexity ensued. She looked almost her usual self, and all the animation which had been so marked a feature of her personality had returned to her. "'Are you better, mother?' said Mary. Mrs. Make-Believe took her daughter's head in her hands and kissed her until the twins butted them apart, clamoring for caresses." "'I am, honey,' she said. "'Those children done me good. "'I could have got up at one o'clock. "'I felt so well. "'But Mrs. Cafferty thought I'd better not.' "'I did so,' said Mrs. Cafferty. "'Not a foot do you stir out of that bed "'till your daughter comes home, ma'am,' said I. "'For do you see, child, "'many's the time you'd be thinking you are well "'and feeling as fit as a fiddle, "'and nothing would be doing you "'but to be up and gallivanting about.' And then the next day you'd have a relapse, and the next day you'd be twice as bad, and the day after that they'd be measuring you for your coffin, maybe. I knew a woman was taken like that. Up she got. I'm as well as ever I was, said she, and she ate a feed of pig's cheek and cabbage and finished her washing, and they buried her in a week. It's the queer thing, sickness. What I say is, when you're sick, get into bed and stop there. "'It's easy saying that,' said Mrs. Make-Believe. "'Sure, don't I know, you poor thing, you,' said Mrs. Cafferty. "'But you should stay in bed as long as you are able to, anyhow.' "'How did you get on with Mrs. O'Connor?' said Mrs. Make-Believe. "'That's the mistress, isn't it?' queried Mrs. Cafferty. "'An old devil, I'll bet you.' Mrs. Make-Believe rapidly and lightly sketched Mrs. O'Connor's leading peculiarities.' "'It's queer the people one has to work for. "'God knows it is,' said Mrs. Cafferty. "'At this point a grave controversy on work might have arisen, "'but the children, caring little for conversation, "'broke into so tumultuous play that talk could not be proceeded with. "'Mary was enticed into a game composed in part of Pussy Four Corners "'and Tip and Tig, with a general flavor of leapfrog working through. "'In five minutes her hair and her stockings were both down,' and the back of her shirt had crawled three-quarters round to the front. The twins shouted and bumped on the bed, upon which, and on Mrs. Make-Believe, they rubbed bread and butter and sugar, while their mother roared an anecdote at Mrs. Make-Believe, in tones that ruled the den as a foghorn rules the waves. Chapter 20 Mary had lavished the entire of her first day's wages on delicate foods wherewith to tempt her mother's languid appetite, and when the morning dawned she arose silently, lit the fire, wet the tea, and spread her purchases out on the side of the bed. There was a slice of brawn, two pork sausages, two eggs, three rashes of bacon, a bun, a pennyworth of sweets, and a pig's foot. 
these with bread and butter and tea made a collection amid which an invalid might browse with some satisfaction mary then awakened her and sat by in a dream of happiness watching her mother's eyes roll slowly and unbelievingly from item to item mrs make-believe tipped each article with her first finger and put its right name on it unerringly then she picked out an important-looking suite that had four colors and shone like the sun and put it in her mouth i never saw anything like it you good child you said she mary rocked herself to and fro and laughed loudly for delight and then they ate a bit of everything and were very happy mrs make-believe said that she felt altogether better that morning she had slept like a top all through the night and moreover had a dream wherein she saw her brother patrick standing on the remotest sea-point of distant america from whence he had shouted loudly across the ocean that he was coming back to ireland soon that he had succeeded very well indeed and that he was not married he had not changed in the slightest degree said mrs make-believe and he looked as young and as jolly as when he was at home with her father and herself in the county meath twenty-two years before this mollifying dream and the easy sleep which followed it had completely restored her health and spirits mrs make-believe further intimated that she intended to go to work that day it did not fit in with her ideas of propriety that her child should turn into a charwoman the more particularly as there was a strong and almost certain possibility of an early betterment of her own and her daughter's fortunes dreams said mrs make-believe did not come for nothing there was more in dreams than was generally understood many and many were the dreams which she herself had been visited by and they had come true so often that she could no longer disregard their promises admonishments or threats of course many people had dreams which were of no consequence and these could usually be traced to gluttony or a flighty inconstant imagination drunken people for instance often dreamed strange and terrible things but even while they were awake these people were liable to imaginary enemies whom their clouded eyes and intellects magnified beyond any thoughtful proportions and when they were asleep their dreams would also be subject to this haze and whirl of unreality and hallucination mary said that sometimes she did not dream at all and at other times she dreamed very vividly but usually could not remember what the dream had been about when she awakened and once she had dreamed that someone gave her a shilling which she placed carefully under her pillow and this dream was so real that in the morning she put her hand under the pillow to see if the shilling was there but it was not the very next night she dreamed the same dream and as she put the phantom money under her pillow she said out loudly to herself i am dreaming this and i dreamt it last night also her mother said that if she had the dream for a third time some one would have given her a shilling surely to this mary agreed and admitted that she had tried very hard to dream it on the third night but somehow could not do it when my brother comes home from america said mrs make-believe we'll go away from this part of the city at once i suppose he'd want a rather big house on the south side rathfarnham or terenure way or maybe donnybrook of course he'll ask me to mind the house for him and keep the servants in order and provide a different dinner every day and all that while you could go out to the neighbors places to play lawn tennis or cricket and have lunch it will be a very great responsibility 
"'What kind of dinners would you have?' said Mary. Mrs. Make-Believe's eyes glistened, and she leaned forward in the bed, but just as she was about to reply, the laboring man in the next room slammed his door and went thundering down the stairs. In an instant, Mrs. Make-Believe bounded from her bed, three wide twists put up her hair, eight strange billow-like movements put on her clothes. As each article of clothing reached a definite point on her person, Mary stabbed it swiftly with a pin. Four ordinary pins in this place, two safety pins in that. Then Mrs. Make-Believe kissed her daughter sixteen times and fled down the stairs and away to her work. End of section 10